Let's open our Bibles tonight to the book of Matthew chapter 25. Last week we started from this chapter reading with verse number 14, one of the kingdom parables that Jesus gave, and this is the parable of the talents as we call it. A parable we learned when we were in Sunday school, some of us at least, is a, is a heavenly, uh, is an earthly story rather, with a heavenly meaning. And uh, it's hard to improve on that simple definition. When Jesus spoke about this, uh, this parable, the parable of the talents, the people understood him. They knew what he was talking about. And they understood servants and the responsibilities of servants and stewards. They understood uh, owners, masters. Um, you know, Jesus dealt with the culture that, that was in the world at the time, just as Paul and other New Testament writers did. And, of course, uh, them dealing with it doesn't mean they endorsed everything that went on, but it means that they were aware of their surroundings and the people understood what was going on. So this is perhaps a story from a world that we're not so familiar with, but I think we can, we can follow along and understand it. So I'm going to read again from the passage a number of verses, and if you will, just let your heart listen and hear what the word says. These are the words of Jesus, so they are very important. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. So they didn't have any of their own necessarily of any significance, but he is delivering to them his goods, his, some of his wealth. And unto one he gave five talents, and of course, you can look, maybe some of you did, you look up different uh, reference books. Uh, the old Amplified Classic gives a smaller number. More modern, if you look it up online now, gives us uh, numbers that a talent was, is, was worth perhaps in today's dollars, $1.4 million. Another way that it's explained is 20 years wages, working six days a week for 20 years. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of responsibility. And so it says, And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. Notice, he knew what each one was capable of handling, and so that's what he gave them. And it says, Straight, and, he, and straightway took his journey. So this is a picture of Jesus delivering to the church his ministry, his spirit, his name, his commission, and then taking his journey. So you see, if you're waiting on God to do it all, you'll be waiting the next time we see you because God isn't that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his 
So it's emphasizing to us here that this is something they were stewarding. They weren't owners, they were stewards. As servants, they, were, they had these large sums of money, but they were responsible to handle it just as if they were the master, even though they weren't. They were stewards. And the Bible says that it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And we're going to see that word faithful in just a little bit has a very important role in this story. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. After a long time. You know, sometimes uh, it's easy to get so busy with life that we really forget uh, we kind of lose the sense of what is going on and what this is all about. Life for us is not about how big of a house we can build or how much money we can collect. It isn't about who all knows us and likes us per se, if we have fame or fortune. There are all kinds of things that people are hungry for today and people want today that aren't really the most important things. A believer needs to never lose sight of the fact that we are called to do the ministry of Jesus Christ. We are called to fulfill His commission to us. And everything else that comes, all the blessings that come, all the wealth that comes, all the, anything that would happen, if, if we do get some recognition, if, if we are well-liked, if we are uh, well-known even, or whatever the case may be, all of that's peripheral. All of that is secondary. That is not the main issue. The main issue is dealing with what God has given to us in the proper way. These servants were required to properly handle what was entrusted to them by the master. And that's exactly where we are. We are called and we will stand before Jesus and give an accounting for doing, what, uh, doing with what he gave us the proper, the proper thing, the proper job. And so, um, verse 20, it says, And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. The same joy the Lord has, praise God. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, notice the exact same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee. Well, we're going to see he really didn't. Thought he did. He had an opinion, but it wasn't accurate. I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. And how many of you realize that that never comes from God? This kind of fear is from the devil. And the Bible actually says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So this man was not right. He wasn't right in his thinking, and he wasn't right in his attitude, and he had opened the door for the devil, and of course, he messed up big time. And uh, he said, and I was afraid, and 
went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. In other words, I'm giving you back what you gave to me. And you know, we maybe have all lived through situations. Maybe you've loaned money to somebody or maybe you put money into a certain investment or something and things got pretty rough and pretty bad and there came a point where you got back to even. And you're just glad to get back to even. You know, you're glad that you're not, you're not on the losing end of things anymore. Well, this guy thought that the master ought to be glad to just be back to even, but we're going to find that that's not what, uh, what was the case at all. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful or lazy servant. That's rough language, isn't it? Wicked and slothful servant. Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not. And he's asking really sarcastically. In other words, you know me, huh? You knew that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Now, the reason I'm saying that had to be sarcasm is because this is not how the kingdom works. Nobody reaps where they don't sow. So he, he missed the whole principle. Plus he missed knowing the character and the nature of, of his master. And he was, by the master's own words, he was wicked and he was lazy. And so the master said, Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury or interest. In other words, I, at least I should have got 2 or 3% on it or something. But see, he didn't even get that. And then he goes on to say, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath Ten talents. So the master here was not a socialist. <laughs> Amen. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't saying, well, we just want everybody to be equal. The one who don't work, the guy that's wicked and slothful should have as much as the person who's diligent and busy. And we have a bunch of people in society today that they seem to have that idea it's never worked anywhere it's ever been tried because sooner or later, as I think Mrs. Margaret Thatcher said many years ago, the problem with socialism is that sooner or later you run out of other people's money. So he said, Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto, and this, this just kind of seals the deal here, for unto everyone that hath, we're going to take some of that away from him to give to everybody else. No, that's not what he said here, is it? He said, for unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. This is rough stuff. This master would probably not win an election in the United States of America today, anywhere. But Jesus taught us this parable to show us a lesson. He taught this parable not for us just to say, hmm, that's an interesting story or, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's quite, a, 
quite a, an amazing story. No, he taught us all of this so that we would understand that we are the servant, that he, our master and our Lord, has entrusted his goods with. Some of us, perhaps, are one-talent people. We found out from, from looking at, at the equivalences of a talent that even if it's one talent, that's a lot. I mean, even in today's money, $1.4 million is a lot of money. Wouldn't you agree? Or the equivalent of working 20 years, six days a week, and they worked 12-hour days, basically. Because you can see that as you read other parables that Jesus gave. And so to work 12-hour days, six days a week for 20 years, I mean, that's a lot. And so the least was that amount, approximately so. And then there was the two-talent guy. Then there was the five-talent guy. And uh, all they had to do was steward over what was given. Do you know that's all you have to do? That's all you have to do is just steward over what God has given you. You don't have to judge what other people do or don't do. You don't need to critique what other people do. You don't have to stand around and say, well, I tell you, if I had that, here's what I would do. No, none of that means anything. Don't waste your breath. You and I need to focus on what we have been given and what are we supposed to do with those things. So I want to encourage you, receive what the master gives. A lot of people just ignore what the master gives. They have abilities that they never develop. They have talents they never use. I know the, the primary aspect in this, in this uh, parable has to do with sums of money, with wealth. But yet, there are things that money can't buy. There are things that Jesus calls true riches. If God wants to use you with spiritual gifts, you can't buy that. It's true riches. If God blesses you with revelation and insight into the Word, insight into a prayer life that can truly change things, those are things money can't buy. And, and when you stand before God, as I said earlier... He's not gonna, he doesn't want you to bring your bank book. You don't have to bring your statement from your accounts. He wants to know, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? So we need to receive what the master gives. And then we need to develop it and multiply it. Develop it and multiply it. I think you noticed in this parable that the talents were not multiplied in a vacuum. Specifically, they weren't multiplied while they were in a hole in the ground. They had to be put to the exchange. And what does that mean? That means, number one, you got to do something. There's lots of people that have opinions. Everybody has opinions. We all do. I do. You do. Everybody does. That's not necessarily wrong. But a lot of people just, that's all they have really that they'll do anything with is spout off their opinion. They're not doing anything. They're not fixing anything. They know what other people ought to do. They know what should be done here, what should be done there, how this should be handled. I wish they did this. I wish they'd do that. But what are you doing? 
Oh, it gets quiet in here in this Episcopal Presbyterian Baptist Methodist Pentecostal Church. How quiet it is. And I'm not trying to be overbearing. I'm not trying to be mean to you. But I, I do want you to be awakened to the great need to cultivate what God has put in you. Because at the end of the day, as we say, that's what you're going to be judged by. I will never stand in judgment for brother so-and-so's ministry. So why should I bother to critique his ministry? Why should I bother to criticize his ministry? I'm going to stand before God for what he's called me to do. I can't live my life through anybody else but me. You can't live your life through anybody else but you. And there are times in all our lives when, when, when seasons change. There's a, a shifting, a changing of the season we're in. And you just know it's time to get serious about whatever it is that God's dealing with you about. I remember, you know, when I turned 60. And, um, and it's amazing. I just shouldn't be that old. But anyway... I'll soon be 66. But I remember when I turned 60 that the Lord began dealing with me. And I, I, had a, um, I had one of those seasons where I realized, you know, it just dawns on you. Well, you know, if, if I live to be 90 years old, and of course I'd be happy to stay longer if I can be of, of real value to anybody. But if I just live to be 90, I realized two-thirds of my life is gone. Now, some of you really young people, you're not relating to this. Just hang around. You'll see. You will get there. And I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm I'm in this place where there's more behind me than there is in front of me. And I, I realized I need to up my game. I need to I need to get more focused on what I'm supposed to do and and I've tried I'm not I've not been perfect but I've tried to do that and I'm still trying to do it. You know, a lot of people my age have already quit. They're rocking chair material. Glenna said the other she was visiting and my brother-in-law asked her uh was I going to retire next year? <laughs> She's, he always calls me Greg Boy. Now you can't do that. <laughs> and she said, Greg Boy ain't never going to retire. So I do ask her from time to time. And we find out somebody, you know, that they've pretty much stopped. And I'm thinking, I ask her, what do they do all day? What, what do they do? I'm sure they do something. Praise the Lord. Anyway, why did I get off on all of that? Um, you've, got to, you've got to learn to develop and multiply what the Lord has given you. And these talents were not mu- multiplied in a vacuum. And so that means you do something. And then secondly, that's what I'm trying to get to. Secondly, you've got to realize it's not in a vacuum. Meaning these, these guys that were successful, they were out in the exchange. They were out dealing with people. That money didn't grow in the hole in the ground. 
The only money that grew was that that was put out into the exchange. And when it comes to us and, and trying to extrapolate from this parable things that there are types that we can live by, you need to understand that you're not going to fulfill your potential as a hermit. You're not going to fulfill your potential not doing things, avoiding uh, circumstances and situations that might be difficult or that might um, require thinking critical thinking that would require maybe even some hard decisions. If you're going to develop and multiply what God has given unto you, you're going to have to rub shoulders with people. You're going to have to deal with circumstances. And the only way that it's going to increase is when you use it. You know, a lot of people are, they're, they're, they're just waiting on some, I don't know what they're waiting on. They're waiting on something to happen and then they're going to really get with it. You have to make stuff happen. Amen. Amen. Brother Summerall used to say, Brother Lester Summerall, I heard him say one time about, I guess he got tired of hearing all these people talking about God opening the door, when God opens the door, when he opens the door. He said, if the door's not open and I need to be in there, he said, I just kick it down. That's a pretty good philosophy. If you know you're supposed to be somewhere, then go there. Don't wait on everybody to invite you. Don't wait on them to celebrate you. They're not going to have a parade. Remember Jesus, the only parade he was ever in, five days later they crucified him. You might not want to be in a parade. And then it says that the master came after a long time. And I just point this out. We need to be willing to wait. But not wait in being idle. Wait doing. You say, well, doing what? The last thing God told you to do. The last thing he spoke to you about. The last thing you know is God's purpose. You stay with that until he tells you otherwise. And if you're in a place where you're kind of wondering and you're not totally sure, then find people that are sure. Like, for instance, in a church setting, what you want to do, if you're not exactly sure, then you'd, you'd talk to Derek back here at the, at, right by the door because he's sure that he's in the will of God doing what he's doing. Now, that may, it's, this may not be what he does forever, but he knows that right now this is what he's supposed to do. Well, so you want to, if you don't know for sure, hook up with somebody like him that does know. Amen. And there are others, you know, we could mention, but I'll just use that as an example because everybody can do something to be serving in the kingdom and develop what God has given to them. God's resources are given to us tailored to our own abilities. Tailored to our own abilities. Each talent, even one talent, is a rich treasure. And I want you to notice in this parable another thought. The same substance. All these talents were, uh, we're pretty sure, they were talents of gold. So it was the same substance given to every servant. Each servant had the same substance, just in different amounts. And, and, you know, it's easy to look at other people and think, well, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do it like they do. God doesn't want you to do what they do. They're already doing it. As powerful as Moses was, God never gave us another Moses. There is, a no, there is no Moses Jr., Moses had no sons named Junior. As powerful as Elijah was, there was no Elijah Junior. There was an Elisha, but he was twice as powerful. 
So, you know, you don't want to shortchange yourself. You don't want to shortchange God. And you don't want to shortchange the people that you can minister to by settling to be somebody else. You want to be what and who God wants you to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 is so important that I want to read it to you. Uh, if you want to turn to it, you may. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a church, the Corinthian church. And uh, he's uh, talking to them. Uh, and of course, he's also answering criticisms that have been thrown his way. People trying to dis uh, detract from his authority as an apostle and so on and so forth. And so he quotes uh, in verse 10, for instance, and he says, and he's, he's quoting what his critics say about him. What they're saying is, his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such and one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we're absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. And then verse 12 he says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. So it's never wise for us to compare ourselves to others. Never wise to try to think in our own mind, well, I wish I could do what they do. I wish I had what they had. I wish I was as gifted as they are. No, no, no. We need to forget that, stop that, and understand that it is unwise to compare ourselves with others. Your assignment, we could say it this way, my assignment is uniquely mine. Yours is uniquely yours. God doesn't want another one, just you. So God also, we want to, we're just trying to type a few loose ends tonight before we have to go. I want you to understand another thing about this, this parable is that God gives us the base resource. And, uh, and in, as far as, as ability goes, as talent goes, even as wealth goes or anything else, he really gives it to us in seed form, so to speak. It's not in its full and completed form. When, when he gave the man five talents, he knew that was not all that he was capable of. But he required him to complete the assignment. And so, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, we are co-laborers with God. So we need to cooperate with God for increase. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Whatever God's given you, there is a potential for increase. But it's not going to increase unless you cooperate with God. Primarily, that means you've got to use it in the way He wants it used, and you've got to use it where He wants it to be used, and when He wants it to be used. We have to cooperate with God. He gives us the seed. He gives us the beginning and it's not in its completed form. We have to sow and reap. We have to labor. We have to be faithful so that we come to the place that we cooperate with God so increase comes. Now, as I said, God's not a socialist. And the point he makes here 
is that the more you will bring increase to the kingdom, the more increase you will have. We have to do what we can, and then God will add the element of the supernatural to produce increase in our life. Increase is on the mind of God. God is not satisfied as long as there's one person on the earth that doesn't know Jesus. He's not satisfied. We haven't completed our job as long as we're here. If you're breathing, if you're still on this planet, you have work to do. I have work to do. It is extremely, extremely important that we are doing what God called us to do. Because one of these days, we are going to have to give an account. Back in verse 19, it says, After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. What does that mean, reckoneth with them? That means he settled accounts. He wanted to see the books. He wanted to know what they had done. And that's exactly what's going to happen when you and I stand before the Lord. Now, I know I've already said a lot of this last week, but I just didn't really get finished with everything. He, he wants us to gain more, do more, and, and have more to bring to the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. And so that's what I want to encourage you with. I don't know what everybody's calling is. You know, I, I'm a pastor, uh, and, and I am very interested in everybody doing what they're called to do. But I, I'm, not, I'm not the one who does the calling. I'm not the one who empowers. I'm not the one who gives the talents. That's God's job. And so we need to seek the Lord. We need to seek Him while He may be found. I'd like for our musicians to come, and if you'll just play something that is appropriate for us, I want to take a few minutes that we would just pray. Now you can pray seated, you can pray standing, <clears throat> you can come down here and kneel around the altar. But I want us to take a few minutes now. It's about 8 o'clock, one minute after 8. It's not very late. So let's take at least 5, 6, 7 minutes and just pray.